0: Hi guys, welcome to episode 4 of the Uncomfortable is Ok podcast, I'm your host Chris Desmond. So this is now legitimately a weekly podcast as we're into our second week, yes! Today I'm chatting with Quentin Roo. I've known Q since university and I've worked with him a few times uh, as physiotherapists. But as well as being a physiotherapist, Quentin's also a race walker. He's represented New Zealand when he competed uh, in the London Olympics, in the 50k racewalk, and now he's building up to the Rio Olympics. He's also competed in multiple world championships, uh, and he currently holds the New Zealand records for the 3k track racewalk, the 20k racewalk, and he's only seconds off Craig Barrett's 15 year old uh, 50k racewalk record. So today we chat through a few things. And we start off by talking about some of the intricacies of race walking. We have a look at his build up to the Olympics and what the vibe is like in the Olympic Village. We talk about preparing mentally for a challenge. That starting out fast isn't the best idea and we should be starting at a pace that we can sustain. We talk through Q's secrets of nutrition and the main supplements that he takes. We talk about that if things aren't going well we can usually change them if we look at them in enough enough depth and it's also an ongoing process looking at what's going well and what isn't and consistently course correcting as we review this. We also talk about the importance of finding people who are going to provide you with honest feedback while you do this. Now I really enjoyed chatting with Q. Hope you guys enjoy listening. Here's the interview. welcome to the uncomfortable is okay podcast thanks for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me today
1: oh thanks for having me so q
0: whereabouts are you at the moment
1: right now in flagstaff arizona uh which is basically i'm here for the thin air uh just the low low oxygen in the air which means it's good for in distance training basically you just get tired faster and um and the long, you're basically coming back down to sea level. It means that training and, and racing should be a whole lot uh, easier, um, of the of the idea. So, been up been up here for two weeks and got another two weeks to go, and um, and then yeah, then onwards from there.
0: Oh, cool. So, what's the what's the altitude at Flagstaff? Uh,
1: about twenty one hundred meters. So, you're looking for your for your New Zealand listeners. You're looking at somewhere. Slightly higher than the top of the Bruce Road um, on um, Mount Ruapehu. Basically, right, you're basically at the top of Mount Norohoe at the moment.
0: Okay, um, that's pretty pretty solid for training up that height.
1: Pretty high, yeah. Yeah, less steep though. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay,
0: cool. So, Quentin, you're you're saying that you're training. What's your sport of choice?
1: Uh, race walking. Well, race walking is a discipline within the sport of athletics, um, but but race walking is basically the what I'm what I'm here to do. Okay,
0: yeah, and when I talk to people about race walking, they'll often say, "Oh, those guys that swing their arms and wiggle their hips and walk walk around funny."
1: Yes, I'm yes. sure
0: there's a little bit more to it than that, though. Can you give us a bit of a rundown about the the discipline of race walking? Uh,
1: well, basically, it's just similar to any other foot race. It's just who can get to the end first is the winner, and the, the rules imposed basically give the give the sport its distinctive technique i guess um the rule the the two facets of the rule being that um you've got to have one foot on the ground at all times and your your knee has to land when your foot lands your knee has to be straight and it has to stay straight until it's vertical um that's judged by human eyes so there's no which is where the sport gets a little bit controversial because especially with um, slow-mo cameras now uh, often picking up uh, flight times so where both feet are off the ground um, which isn't, isn't visible to the naked eye uh, and therefore is, is legal within the sport um, but there's a lot of confusion with that and, and a lot of, unfortunately a lot of people get put off the sport uh, because of, because of what, they, what they perceive to be cheating which is, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I've seen I've seen a few pictures of yourself actually uh, flying along there with both mm. feet in the air by the look of it. And uh, yeah, if they had a if they had a DRS uh, review system for uh, race walking, there might be a few extra disqualifications, I think.
1: Well, you'd, you'd think that. Although although if, to use the the DRS analogy, they they don't use DRS for example for the for the angle of a bowler's arm, which is which is in, in the, the the layman's uh, interpretation of the rules which says that the elbow like a, a bowler has to have a straight arm when when he or she bowls a cricket ball um, in reality you're allowed up to about 15 degrees of bend um, and that's not judged by that's that's not judged um, with cameras at all during a match and um, similar to say the offside line in a rugby um, on a rugby field uh, you, there are examples on pretty much every sport where where human um, interpretation comes into it Um, and so race walking is no different in that regard Uh,
0: yeah and I think you can probably get a little bit too technical with things as well and it's it really impacts the the enjoyment of the sport for the competitors and probably also for the uh, spectators as well
1: yeah exactly yep and and so at the moment it's not a it it's not a perfect system i don't think um there like i said there is a lot of um yeah we there's a lot of um i guess negative publicity ar- around it a lot of the time which, which is a shame and uh, and um th- but there's not really a way around that um as it is so so it's kind of in a it, it is what it is and um the, the people who the practitioners of the sport and the people who follow the sport are well aware of that Um, so often the the public won't be on board and that's fine Um, but like you said it's it's just a a sort of inherent part of the sport
0: yeah and Q did you always want to be a race walker so when you were a little boy was was your dream to to represent New Zealand as a race walker
1: no it didn't didn't really it didn't really cross under my radar until I was until sort of my mid-20s I did a lot of running when I was I played pretty much every sport under the sun when I was at primary school and then as my teenage years went along the sports kind of whittled away until I was mostly just doing running and the, the my running career basically ended with about eight years of a chronic Achilles injury which um, is not, not a, a whole lot of fun to run on. Uh, I switched over to walking and that, found that it was fine for the Achilles and still kept the competitive juices flowing and um, allowed a good, it's a really good workout just you know the physiology is just the same as running, so so it just kind of went from there. But but unlike most people who I guess are, are in, involved in, in high performance sport, I, I took up the sport at the age of 24 um, and and just kind of took it from there.
0: Often people will find that interesting that you had an injury while you were running and then changed to race walking. Because, again, a lot of people that I talk to about race walking perceive that it's really, really tough on the body. Is it that much different to running in terms of the uh, the physical demands on the body?
1: Well, if I could just put my physiotherapist hat on for a second, um, I can tell you that the the overall injury rate per 1,000 hours of, of exercise is lower uh, for race walking than it is for, for running and, and cycling and triathlon. And... So in terms of the the overall impact, there's there, it's actually a lot it's a, a lot kinder on the body uh, than than running is. Um, it does look a little bit awkward uh, when you look, look at the whole thing put together. Um, if you just look at every part of the body in isolation, you'll see that it's just normal movements. It's just your, your hip uh, flexing and extending, your knee flexing and extending, um, your hips. But, yeah sorry hip, hips flexing and extending pelvis is rotating uh slightly dipping um and the upper body does pr- pretty similar things to when you run so there's not really any stress on on any particular joint at any any one time even though it does look a little bit ungainly in terms of the specific injuries you need a lot more uh shin pain or, or tibialis anterior pain um a lot more hamstring injuries um and a little bit uh, the, the knee injuries that you see are a little bit different it's more Meniscus injuries and less of the sort of uh, kneecap or patellofemoral pain, um, but but overall, not, it's a it's a very healthy thing, uh, a very healthy sport with a with a quite a low injury rate.
0: Have you had any injuries yourself?
1: Well, I guess when you do anything for for sort of 25 hours a week, um, there there will be just niggles that come along. I've got at at, at the moment, um, I've got a bit of a sore foot and a sore knee, a sore neck. Um, and sore hips and sore back. Um, but but then I've just done, I'm just coming to the end of sort of two two weeks of about, uh, yeah, 210K a week um, each, um, which is it's pretty hard work. And so I think when, you, when you're when kind of pushing it and, and kind of going as fast as you can for as long as you can, then there'll always be little niggles. Um, but I've been pretty lucky that I haven't had anything that's really stopped me from, Training for any for any huge length of time. Um, so in that regard, yeah, I've been been pretty lucky. Well,
0: that's good, and that's probably about my weekly commute to work. I think that two hundred and ten k is driving. Yeah. Um, we probably don't want to go into your injuries too much, and let the uh, the competition know uh, whether they can uh, kind of target you at yes. the moment, though.
1: Right. It's a long daily so, walk, Chris.
0: That's true. That's true. But I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure there's a lot of analysis that goes on with it as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Quentin,
0: in about four months' time, you're heading off to the Olympics in Rio. Yes. So uh, you've got a you've got a bit of a plan build up for that at the moment. Where where to next for you?
1: Um, so here, be um, staying in Arizona for the next couple of weeks, uh, which is. Basically, as a build-up type, thing, it's, um, it's purely just as a, as a training base, um, heading straight from here to Italy. Um, so, spending two weeks in Italy, um, where there's at the end of that two weeks, there's a there's a race, of the uh, World Race Walking Teams Championship. So, there'll be a, a contingent of five New Zealanders over there, which is which is pretty exciting. It's the biggest team we've had for a while. Um, I'll be coming back to my base in Melbourne after that, uh, oh, so via uh, Leeds in the UK, uh, so I've got a uh, biomechanist up there that I'll spend a few days with, um, and then back to Melbourne uh, catching up with the coach and, and the regular training partners for about four or five weeks and then heading off to the Swiss Alps for another five weeks of training, um, again that that's high altitude training. From there, catching a train to Germany, spend a week in Germany with the rest of the New Zealand track and field team. Uh, hopefully there will be about 15 of us there, and then fly directly from Germany into Rio. OK.
0: And what are the conditions likely to be like in Rio when you get there? Is it pretty hot that time of year?
1: It's, it, well, it's winter. It's the same same um, same kind of seasons as New Zealand, uh, although a little bit closer to the equator and a little bit more tropical. So typically it's <coughs> sort of low 20s, uh, 20 degrees celsius it's right on the waterfront so, so humidity is not a huge problem i'm uh, saying that last year uh on the the day that i'll be racing uh the 19th of august for the 50k uh it was 35 which is hotter than what you'd ideally have but um it's the same for everybody so we'll be certainly doing uh mixing in some um some heat training some specific heat sessions um, and just practicing the, the sort of pre-cooling ritual uh leading up to that just to try to make sure that we're prepared for everything.
0: So, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes on uh, with the build-up to being an Olympian. What's the actual feeling like going to the Olympics? Because I know you've been to one already.
1: That's right. Yep. So I was lucky enough to to qualify for London. Um, so that was that was kind of a, a it was a bit of a skin of the teeth experience, a bit all on the fly because I was reasonably new to the sport by that stage. I've been been walking for about three and a half years and so it was uh, so the the qualifying time was a little bit under four hours and i qualified by 12 seconds so it was just just great home there and basically had one chance of qualifying and and took it and and only just took it um and so it was all a a real whirlwind the the olympic village itself is is uh, a pretty uh yeah a pretty crazy place it's probably there yeah it's, it's a fairly unique environment dominated as you can imagine by fairly intense people um, who often uh, will be doing individual sports quite obscure sports uh, like myself um, and often so used to spending a lot of hours by themselves and and just pushing themselves to the to the limit so it takes a certain sort of personality to do that I think and um, so when you've got sort of 10,000 of these people in the same place it's it's a it's a unique kind of environment. The other thing is that when people are finished, it's just like they've done nothing for four years except for this one thing, and now it's over, and they have just at a loss to do, and it's just mayhem. So um, there's this weird kind of dichotomy between these really super intense, focused people, and then people who are just totally letting loose, which is it, it's a really really unique environment. Um, in terms of the race in London, it was um, we had a. Some, Someone said there were about 60 or 70,000 people lining the course. It was a, one of the few free events in the London Olympics, and so basically it was just, um, you know, the, the crowd was sort of 20 deep in, in some parts, which is pretty unusual for a for a walking race, where usually there's, well, races in New Zealand particularly there's there's more uh, there's more athletes than spectators, um, and more officials than athletes, so. So to have that many people was was just uh, yeah it was pretty mind blowing. Um, Rio I imagine will be a lot less structured, uh, j- judging by the reports of the Olympic Village and the corruption that's gone on there and the things not being ready when they should be. Um, but the but I, I think there'll be a lot more a uh, lot more flair and uh, so yeah looking forward to that side of it. I can't remember what the question was. Did I answer the question? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think he did. It's alright. Um, with with having sixty or seventy thousand people there as you're walking an event, are you actually aware of the crowd or you kind of block them out and just get in your own zone?
1: Yeah, certainly go, go through phases of of each. Um particularly when you're kind of working toward you know, working towards Catching up to people, or hitting certain times, or um, trying to trying to focus on different people in the field, then then often you kind of block it out. Where, where you really notice it is usually I'll communicate with um, the whoever's doing my drink. So you, you get a drink every 2k, which is which is really good. Um, and the, the guy in the drink station, usually you can kind of communicate with him, and um, and he can give you feedback, and you can tell him what you want and things. Um, and you just couldn't really do that in London because it was just noisy for the whole four hours, um, and that was where you really noticed it. Uh, I also had a few, a uh, few friends in the crowd, which is which is a, a real treat. They, as, as you probably know, there's a few New Zealanders living in in South London, so um, so I had a had a, a really good support crew there, which was great. So so definitely noticed them every lap. Um, some some people are able to to block things out. Um, uh, i yeah I can sort of go through go through waves of it
0: good, and do you find that the obviously your support crew there in London spurs you on, but do you find the atmosphere of the rest of the crowd it gets you up if you're uh, if you're flagging a little bit
1: yeah, I think so um and which can be a double edged sword um i think when so I was kind of uh, i was, i was in the i was basically finished just in the in the in the top half of the field in London, um, and which which I was pretty proud of. Um, I was certainly ranked a lot lower than, than that. Um, but after about 5k, I was coming dead last, um, and so I think for a lot of people, they got a little too excited, um, which for something that long is is not a great thing because basically it's you, you can you pacing's obviously. Really important, and so um, so I was um, able to pace pace everything fairly evenly, um, and I, and I walked quite an even race. Um, but a lot of the people who uh, were in front of me there just basically just died because they just got too excited and took off too fast. But certainly in that last five or ten k, yeah, it's where things start to um, to really fall apart. then, then having some. External in, input can be can be really helpful in terms of, uh, just, yeah, just just things up and um, and trying to get the get everything out of myself, which which I, I'm pretty sure that I did.
0: I would say so. I watched you come across the uh, finish line, and then the legs just went. And yeah, uh,
1: yeah. It was um. I was I was pretty pretty dead after that.
0: Yeah how long do how long does it take for you to recover after that?
1: Uh, well, in terms of getting back to normal training, probably about three months. Um, in terms of like the next day, basically, because I had I had two I had a blood blister on each foot that was it took it was about half the length of my foot. Um, one of them popped at about thirty-five k, and the other one at about forty k. Which so landing just just basically every time I landed on my heel, which is three times a second, uh, it was quite excruciating for the last sort of fifteen k, and. The other thing, which sounds stupid, but it was there was a loads of pollen in the air. Um, I've never raced with that much pollen. My eyes were just killing me for about a week afterwards. So once those sort of once those two things kind of healed up, it was the body was feeling okay. But then um, in terms of getting back into training, it, it, it does take quite a while to, to get back. Um, yeah, get back into it properly.
0: And it sounded like you managed to stick to your plan uh, pretty well in London in terms of your pacing, uh, whereas everyone else sort of took off a little bit, a little bit too quickly. Do you attribute that to the the success that you had there? Is that you managed to stick to that plan?
1: Yeah, well, I, I guess um, certainly I I wouldn't say that that everybody else um, you know stuffed up. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty fast race, and a lot of people did, did incredible times. Um, I, I think for for me, yeah, I, I think that that to get the best out of myself there, um, because I wasn't in a position to to be really fighting for for the win. Um, the important thing was to basically just do as good a time as possible. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm confident that I more or less got it right. Um, to and, and to do that was basically required to me to walk pretty consistently um so so yeah i think i think the, the sort of planning and execution there was was um yeah i think i think we got it about right
0: and coming up to rio is obviously a different story in that you've been walking for another four years now uh you've been competing a lot more you're at the world champs last year you came 10th so what's what's going to be different about rio for you than uh, what you did in London.
1: Yeah, but in, in some ways, nothing, nothing's really changed. In that, um, I'll still be going out, not crazy in the first, you know, the first sort of 30k or so, um, and just trying to, trying to hit times rather than sort of race against people. I guess it, it'll look different because I won't be coming dead last after 5k. I'll be, you know, hopefully, hopefully in the in the top half of the field uh, the, the way through. Um, so, so it will probably look a bit different, but the the underlying sort of strategy will probably be about the same. Um, and just just trying to walk a reasonably pace, um, and then just just give it give it everything in the last sort of five or ten k. Um, the emotions are a lot different this time, but just like I said last time, it was really held to scale. I had one shot, and and was you know lucky enough that I got good conditions in a really good race, and and things just fell into place. You know, I didn't get didn't get sick. I was managed to travel pretty well, um, and so all those things kind of had to line up. Uh, whereas this time around, um, like you said, I, I was tenth in the world champs last year, and that was that time qualifies me for Rio. So so that was the qualification was out of the way last August, um, which is a real luxury that you don't need to be chasing times. You can just be focused on preparation and. Um, and then there's not, the, there's not the same, I guess. Uh, I guess the first time you do anything, it's a, sort of stepping into the unknown. Um, and, and having sort of done it before, I've got some idea about what to expect. So, um, so yeah, I guess I've been a, bit, a little bit more prepared this time.
0: Cool. And the time that you walked last year, I think, was about 43 or 44 seconds behind Craig Barrett's New Zealand record. Are we, uh, are we likely to see that one fall at Rio?
1: yeah it's it's certainly possible it's been on the radar for a few years um and i think um yeah it's definitely definitely fitter i'm fitter now than i've ever been um and so if everything falls into place then then yep there's no reason it, i can't get get that time and and to be honest probably go a few minutes faster than that um it obviously requires kind of good conditions if like i said before, if it's sort of thirty five degrees then it probably just won't be possible um and if not in Rio, then uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to have a crack at it at some other race in the near future. But um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully get the New Zealand record. It's about the only one I don't have, so, so yeah, I'll be eyeing, that, be eyeing that up. Yeah,
0: I've been on the Athletics New Zealand webpage, and your name shows up there a little bit for uh, race walking.
1: Good, excellent.
0: <laughs> and Q, you're saying that you, you're probably the fittest that you've ever been at the moment, But a 50k race is a 50k race And I assume that fitness only gets you so far That there's a a massive mental component To that, to the racing as well How do you prepare mentally for a race like that?
1: I I think just being able to acknowledge The the sort of different stages of the race Is is quite important Um, Going back to the London race You know, you have people who go Go out way, way too fast in the first Five or ten k, and that's a lot of that is just because it feels so so easy. Um, so my best time for for ten k is is just over thirty nine minutes. Um, whereas in London I went through ten k in about forty eight minutes. So it, it, it's basically you know twenty percent difference in in what you're capable of doing compared to what you actually do. And so um, it just feels so so easy. And so being able to to mentally prepare for be for just how much to push yourself um how hard to go and um and then usually around about the 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 sort of 35 or 40k mark things really start to get difficult and so um if you can i, I find if if i can kind of almost switch off a little bit until then uh then and then just really so so almost just treat it like a 15k race they so just get to 35k and then it's a race um and and so long as I'm hitting those, hitting my sort of target times before that, then, then that's the, that that's the way that I've sort of found to, um, to best go about it. Just so I think if you if you're really racing or, or really overstimulated the whole time, there's a lot of time to be burnt out. Um, and so, so being able to just divide the race into into different parts, I, I found really important.
0: And what's going through your head? In that last fifteen k do you have some uh, self-talk that's going on, Are you kind of cheering yourself along, or how do you how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, so so usually there's um well there's all, so the, the field's always strung out by that stage. It's a two k loop that, that we're always on. Um, it's almost always out and back, and so you can see people coming and going and and gauge where they are and who's catching up and who's dropping back and who's uh, ahead of you. That's that's pulling away or staying the same or, or coming back. And so usually it's just trying to keep tabs on people and, and just using, um, try, yeah, in, in that last few K, really just trying to motivate myself to get, to, to get, basically catch people. Um, so it's not necessarily about time. It's just about, you know, in the next lap, try to cut that many seconds off off the guy in front. Aside from that, um, there's there's always the sort of thinking about um, nutrition. So so have a have a drink every couple of laps, and so that'll give. Um, yeah, if the if the stomach's not feeling right, then it's really hard to push in that last few k. So so making sure that I'm communicating with the guy who's doing drinks is good. Um, and then finally, finally, and this this is a something that, that affected me in Beijing is, is um, going back to the judging if you you basically get get warning through the race. So if anyone's seen a walking race on TV and you see a judge flashing a yellow paddle, that's basically a warning and it doesn't mean anything. The the cautions that uh, carry weight are the ones that you don't actually see but they get put on a a, a, a sort of a naughty board. Um, and so you'll have your race number and the number of cautions that you've got. Um, and you see that once a lap and, and basically... Three cautions and you're out. So three cautions from three of the eight judges on the course. And in Beijing at the World Champs last year, I was on two cautions uh, for about the last 25k. It's uh, basically one more course, one more, and I would have been out. And so I kind of I was in the situation where I could have pushed harder. Um, so the physiology allowed me to push harder. There wasn't really anyone in front or anyone behind for for quite a Quite a while, and so I made the conscious decision just to just to back off, just because just to try and finish the race um, rather than really push for 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 a better time, but risk getting disqualified. So so there's those kind of things that you have to weigh up as well. Um, you know, the risk of of falling foul of the judges compared to losing places or losing time or, or, or those kind of things, which when when you when you're that tired is is a little bit more difficult than when you're fresh. Um, I, again, I, I think I got it about right in, in Beijing, and um, that I didn't lose any places. But yeah, and, and still managed to finish. Um, but I guess there's always, yeah, every every race is a different race. So so hopefully I can get it right again in and rear.
0: Yeah, and I think you can always have a what if. No matter what decision you do make with it, there's always going to be another option that yeah have absolutely no idea what would have occurred.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. You mentioned nutrition before during the race, how important is the nutrition leading up to the race while you're training?
1: I, I think the most important thing with nutrition is just, getting, just having a balanced diet, the most important supplements that I take would be vegetables um, and, and I think that that's something that's, that's really important to have at home, that there's nothing magic about, about what you eat or what you drink, it's just normal everyday food making sure you're getting your five plus a day and um and meeting your your energy demands obviously the more you train the more the more fuel you need um and so just getting getting high quality food is is the most important thing but but basically if you grand market cook it it's probably a good it's probably good good food for performance
0: awesome that's a, a good rule to live by i think so i'm going to change tack a little bit now you also write a blog Q walks fast.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, the blog the blog called more than race walking. Um, the athlete. My, I've got an athlete page on Facebook. Q walks fast. But sorry, carry on.
0: Oh no, no, that's that's okay. So, sorry, I didn't get it right for you. With your blog, what sort of stuff are you looking at there? Uh, it's definitely is more than race walking, but you delve into a whole lot of different topics. Yeah. What inspires them?
1: It's just kind of what I'm thinking about. Um, so I haven't really. There's there's a there's a cracker on the way, um, which is which is just a, a, a random uh confluence of, of a of coincidences of a con, of uh stuff that's happened in the in the first week of Flagstaff. Um but basically it's just uh, just more or less just what I think about stuff. So it's often yeah, most of the stuff I would write about would be would be racewalking. Um I guess I guess there's um, there's always kind of crossovers with 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 other aspects of life um, I, I'm quite a, a big believer in, in fairness and equality and and trying to, to see you know I guess pointing out injustices in the world or or, um, or trying to yeah trying to illuminate illuminate certain things um, certainly I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in any of that there there are people who do a, a heck of a lot better than I do I, I guess I'm just just uh, writing about what what I see and and um, yeah, just giving my own perspective on things.
0: Yeah, I definitely find it uh, always find it quite insightful the stuff that you're talking about, Quentin. Do you have any funny uh, stories from the Olympic Village last time?
1: Um, gee, you're putting me on the spot here, Chris. One of the um, well, are you, one of the one of the things that happens every every four years is, is me and some um, some friends from my old, my old hostel, Selwyn College in Dunedin. Um, we started in 2004 having a, an Olympic quiz, so we'd sit around and watch the Olympics and deliver a round of 10 questions each, um, which is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, so we did, did the same thing in, in 2008. Um, I was sadly absent in, in 2012, so I had to perform a, a video round. One of the questions which I, I enlisted the help of, of the javelin thrower, Stuart Farquhar, um the question was how many times can Stu uh bench press me? Um and so, so we, we set up a little little camera, um Stu Stu bench press me. Um seventeen times so will Seventeen
0: times? Yes, uh, yep,
1: yeah, yeah, after a weight session. So he's a he's a strong man.
0: He is. And you're probably a little bit wrigglier than a bench bar as well.
1: I tried to stay still and I did fall off um onto his nuts at one point. Um so sorry, <laughs> Stu. Um but
0: was that pre his event
1: it was yeah yeah so he was he was um yeah very kind in, in offering his services for the um for the benefit of the quiz Um he's uh, yeah like i said it's not only a strong man but a but a a good a good man as well
0: sounds very generous now q i remember you telling me a story once about uh one of the new zealand races that you did uh, that you actually got disqualified in, not for your three warnings, but for something else.
1: Oh yeah, so my my first ever um, time at nationals. Um, I, so I went to nationals. I'd been walking for about six months. Uh, so national champs were in, in Wellington, and basically had a had a a good tussle with a a, um, a young guy from Canterbury, and ended up basically out kicking him in the last in the last sort of half a k or so. Something that that's, um, that I did a couple of times as a runner, which never got me into trouble, which was uh, when winning a race, just doing a little forward roll over the, over the finish line. And that drew a, drew a protest from the, from the Canterbury manager. Um, and so I was disqualified for unsportsmanlike conduct on that occasion, um, which, was, which was a new one. Uh, so, so I learnt my lesson there and, and haven't done that one since. Um, but I guess not every athletic official has a sense of humour. Uh, but fortunately, some of them do.
0: Yeah, oh, good, good. <laughs> um, now, I've heard you say a quote as well, and I don't know if you were the originator of this quote. No, oh, I certainly got to,
1: not, but go on.
0: It's uh, it's to do with training uh, and your take on training. And I think you say some days you're the pigeon and some days you're the statue, but you've just got to keep going no matter which you are.
1: Yeah, I'd say that. I actually got that from Dilbert, um, the the, oh, shit. the cartoon character. um or comic strip or whatever it is. So, um, But, yeah, I think it's, it's – uh, I guess there's, there's a, a few other similes you could, you could use. Um, that's, that's the one that I kind of find a, a little bit uh, – yeah, a, a, an interesting visual. Um, it, but, yeah, and it certainly I think it holds true for what, whatever you're doing, really.
0: The next question that I have for you, Q, again, is a little bit uh, on a tangent. But can you tell me about a time where you've failed – and what you learnt from
1: that? I guess re- just coming uh, recently, um, I've had uh, also, so the, the races that I've had this year. Um, I had a had a twenty k in Adelaide, uh, which was which was Oceania champs, and then a fifty k in Mexico earlier in the year. Basically, the the twenty k in Adelaide, I was kind of off off the pace a little bit and picking up. Picking up a few cautions and actually get, ended up getting disqualified at about 16k, which was it's always it's always a real bummer when, when that happens. It's, um, yeah, perhaps um, in this case it wasn't it wasn't the most important race. I was probably not going to do a fantastic time, but it's still something that's a little bit of a little bit of a jolt, which is um, yeah, it, it, it cause for reflection. I, guess. Um, I think that in terms of moving on from that, the, the things which which lead to the disqualification. So like I said, it's it's based on, you know, looking, giving the appearance that you have one foot on the ground and that you're landing with a straight knee. Those things are all things which I think are controllable. So as in, you know, there there are things which there might be asymmetries, you know, one side's pushing off a little bit more or or, um, maybe not uh, stretching enough and and allowing your, your... foot to come down when it should and, and all those kind of things which aren't an inherent part of how I'm walking but the thing but things that I can change and so I guess those um, I've been working quite hard since I've been here at, at, at trying to correct that um had a, had a bit of help with video analysis which is really important um, and and uh, the physio that's been here is is really good as well as just the other training partners pointing things out which is helpful um, and so I think there's certainly i I've had problems probably that the whole the whole time I've been walking i haven't really had a, a great technique, and so I've had a few problems with disqualifications and uh so yeah that's something that's um that's sort of an ongoing issue that I think I can get to the point of um and yeah we just working basically every day to 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 do things to try and improve that.
0: With things like that, it's always is a gradual process uh, that things slowly, slowly improve. Uh, but it is that yeah, the consistent, consistent work that you have to do, obviously, that uh, leads to those changes.
1: Mm, I agree. Yep.
0: Q. The the name of the podcast is Uncomfortable is okay. Can you tell us about the last uncomfortable thing that you did?
1: I guess in terms of the in terms of the sort of Emotional discomfort. That, that's probably it. Was the um, yeah the, the, the disappointment of that race in Adelaide uh, just being a being being disqualified there. And it, like I said, it's always a, a bit of a bummer. And so having to, to face up to that and say you yeah, because people are always interested to know how you go. And so it's always a bit of a bit of a downer to say well you know I didn't get through the race. So that's the sort of I guess the the, the emotional discomfort is, is that um, having those. Yeah, making those those sort of realizations, that, that things aren't going how you want them to go. In terms of physical discomfort, I mean, I, to be honest, every day here is is, is uncomfortable to some degree. Um, this morning we went for 40k, basically as fast as we could, um, and then this evening did the did 10k as fast as I could. And, and for a, for an old body like mine, it, it takes it takes a wee while to get going. So just those, like I said. Every, everything's kind of kind of hurting all at once um and just getting out to uh i mean it's almost it's almost easier just to do 50k in one hit rather than 40k and then have sort of six hours break and then getting out for another 10k and just just trying to crank up again and and just even though everything's sore there's not a lot of oxygen around and and things are things are tired and stuff and, and just trying to push through that yeah, but then you know, I guess the flip side to that is that at the end of it, it's, uh, it's just satisfying knowing that you that you've you know done something that's that's good. It's going to be helpful in terms of getting a lot fitter and um, and just being able to get through that that work is is a, is a good feeling.
0: Yeah, the payoff is hopefully going to be there in the long term with it. I just want to go back to that emotional discomfort that you were talking about before as well. do you have some uh some tips or some tricks or some habits that you use to deal with that when you do because obviously sport is inherently disappointed from time to time uh because you don't do it as well as you hope do you Do you have a process for dealing with that?
1: I guess my process is i i think at heart i'm I'm a scientist in terms of just seeing that there's a there's a, some things that are controllable, some things aren't controllable. You can do certain things, and you can predict an outcome to a certain extent based on what you what you do and how you you sort of intervene on things. Um, and so the the intervention that you choose to do will dictate the outcome to to some degree. Um, and so I think I think those kind of things when I sort of remind myself of that 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 these things are. Changeable. The things that, that that aren't going well, usually I can do something about them. Um, and the things that saying that there are th- things which I might be naturally disappointed about that I can't change. Um, and sometimes it's just it just takes a little bit of time for reflection and just realizing actually I, I, I shouldn't get upset about that because it's something that I just can't control. Um, and if you're worrying about things that you can't control, then you'll be worrying about quite a few things. So. So I guess that's the, that's the, the general process that I go through.
0: What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to be doing?
1: Well, got to repeat it all tomorrow. But go out training tomorrow in terms of that that physical discomfort. I guess the, again going back to the going back to the technique. There's always just ongoing the feedback that I'm getting, and and sometimes you you know I've been thinking that, or I've been working hard at something for a few weeks, and then. You know, you get feedback and just say actually, yeah, it's not not any better, and you need to do it. You know, you need to just try harder and things, and so that's always a little bit tough to take. Um, and so that's but that's kind of an ongoing process of, of evaluating what's going well and what's going not so well. Um, the whole kind of next next six months is going to be a little bit of a a little bit of a roller coaster in terms of traveling and and trying to. Fit in everything, you know, trying to make sure. I, I guess as one of the sort of senior team members of the trip to to Rome, I'll be trying to I'll be keeping one eye out, trying to trying to make sure that, that the rest of the team is is going well and and um, and happy, has everything they need and, and helping out where I can, um, and then just the, the logistics of getting to you know between Melbourne and Europe and South America. Um, is there's always kind of stresses and, and things which, um, you know, you, you can't do everything, I guess. And, and so it's always a little, yeah, a little bit tough with, with that in, in that regard. But, again, try, try, I, just, I just try to go back to things that I can control, things that I can't control, and, and just do, make the best of, of the things that I can control.
0: Cool. Some really good takeaways there. And I think going back to your technique, trying to change your technique, Often it is difficult with that, especially looking at ourselves because we're kind of constantly analysing ourselves every minute of the day. Uh, so often we don't see those small changes or we think that we're changing more than we actually are because we're constantly looking at ourselves, whereas someone looking in from the outside is probably a little bit more objective with what they can actually see and, and measure uh, in terms of what how we're how we're going and how we're changing
1: absolutely and so i guess it's important to um to find those people in your life that can be honest and just say actually this is you're not doing it right um, and you need to do it better um and and just having people that, that can be honest is i think really important
0: the constructive criticism
1: yes yes that's right yeah
0: yeah Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Q. It's been awesome to talk to you. And whereabouts can people follow you online and kind of listen to what you're thinking about and kind of watch you build up to Rio? Uh,
1: probably the, the best place is just on the on the Facebook page. So it's just Q walks fast. That's just the letter Q uh, walks fast. The blog is just uh, more than racewalking dot com. I think. Um, but anyway, it should be all on the Facebook page, and yeah, so I'll try and keep that updated uh, as, as much as I can with with hopefully interesting things.
0: Cool. I'll pop a link uh, in the episode notes as well, so that people can find you. Thanks. And yeah, I wanna I wanna say good luck for all the training uh, leading up to Rio, and good luck for Rio as well. Um, I'm sure if you stick to the plan, that we'll see some some great results. Thanks again, very much for your time. For being on here today we'll have to get you back uh, after the olympics and just hear about how it went
1: yes yep yeah no thanks thanks for that chris hopefully um yeah hopefully i'll be able to, to come back and and report on on tales of glory
0: keep an eye out for usain bolt as well i hear he just lives on chicken nuggets
1: that's
0: a, that's a rumor yep yeah some photographic evidence would be good
1: i'll do my best
0: all right thanks again q i'll all see right. you later thanks chris so, there you have it. Me and Q having a chat, talking about a whole lot of different stuff there. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Flick me an email, uncomfortableisok at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Facebook, uncomfortableisok, or on Instagram, at uncomfortableisok. So, if you like what you heard, head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Leave a comment and share this episode out with your mates. Now, I've got a little bit of a claim to fame actually, and I'm not sure if Q remembers this or not, but um, when we were down in Dunedin at university, I was at Knox College, he was at Selwyn, and uh, Knox and Selwyn have a, it's a yearly uh, athletics meet really, and I actually ended up beating Q in the 400 metre race that year, I think this was back in 2003, so I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited that I've beaten an Olympian. Admittedly, both of us were running, but I'll take that one. Again, I wanna give a big thanks to everyone that has given us feedback over the last week. It's been great to have some awesome messages of support and awesome to, to hear people really enjoying Rachel and Alex's stories. Uh, I wanna give a big shout out to all the guys that have helped me uh, bring this idea together. Uh, and and get it out there to you guys, especially my my brother Jeremy Desmond for the Wicked uh, theme music. It's been awesome. Anyway, guys, head out there, do something uncomfortable, and I'll chat to you again next week with another awesome conversation.